WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guests are the artist and writer behind the upcoming Vault Comics original graphic novel Bonding, Emily Pearson and Matthew Ehrman. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, Matt's coming in a few minutes, so you have me for now. <laughs> and that's great. That's absolutely fun. Uh, Emily, how is your D&D game these days? Oh, gosh. I, I love that that's the first thing that's asked. <laughs> um, it's great. I'm in, like, oh, like, one and a half right now. Some, some of them meet regularly, so they're really fun, though. Um yeah, it's. I think Matt DMs too, so we've oh, actually wow. never played D and D together. So we might have to get that going at a convention sometime. That that sound that sounds fun. So uh, <laughs> so who who's your character? Who are you using these days? Oh, <laughs> um, I have I have a cowgirl that I'm using currently, and then I also have a uh, an elf fighter girl. Um, they're named Rin and Alice, uh, respectively. <laughs> so those are my two characters at this moment. Right Do you guys on. play D and D at all, or every other week for the past eleven <laughs> years with the same group? That's crazy. Eleven years. Yep. What uh, level are you at this point? <laughs> well, we we trade off DMing. Each campaign lasts. Uh, you know, usually a couple of years, and then somebody else goes. Oh, okay. And we also squeeze in, you know, like if one of us can't make it because it's a pretty large group, we'll do board games on off weeks. But we've been doing it for that long. Right now, we're right at the beginning of something, so uh, second level, and a uh, uh, a dragonborn rogue who actually has a devil trapped inside him. That's so, so fun. I'm going, Layers. I'm going full Dexter. Like, yeah. Lawful evil. Like he he the, the devil makes him kill, but he tries to kill those who deserve it. So it's this sort of weird again. It, it, I went kind of Dexter as the inspiration, but he's sort of very weird and very kind of cold and <laughs> mutters to himself because he's talking to the devil and nobody else realizes that he's not really talking to himself but he literally has a voice in his head that he is interacting with yeah he's definitely turning into a warlock soon oh yeah <laughs> that's the case it, 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 there's going to be levels of warlock down the line you know matt uh bef- you know before we go much further uh you just took the last week off just for reading like you yeah. went full burgess meredith <laughs> in the twilight zone without <laughs> losing your glasses at the end <laughs> How was yeah. that? Oh, it was delightful. I, I read more than a month's worth of backlog comics. I walked. I caught up on all my podcasts too. Didn't watch a lot of TV because I was reading and listening to podcasts, but that was okay. Hey, sorry. Oh. I have a, <laughs> no. I, I have a newborn. That's my Yes, excuse. you do. You yeah. do. Uh, that is a valid excuse small human uh very small i cannot stress how small (laughs) that they are it's it's pretty crazy i don't know how many newborns you guys have been around or have but super small you you, you've definitely got a fun size human right now matthew uh 
<laughs> how how are you finding uh the first few weeks of fatherhood? Uh you know, honestly, about the same as the last couple weeks prior to fatherhood. Uh there's a you know, obviously the biggest change is having Elliot around and having a baby to change and make sure that there are constant eyes on him at all times. But uh yeah, not I mean not a whole lot has changed. I, I'm very fortunate that I work at home with my mm. wife. So uh, I'm sure that is like a very different experience than having to go to work. And it's I'm but uh, no, it's it's been good. It's been a little stressful. But for the most part, we seem to be doing what we can. <laughs> that that that's good. That's good. Uh, hopefully, uh, what you can uh, involves at least a little sleep. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you know, one of the nice things that, about our situation is that we can kind of take turns with being restful and, you know, switching on and off as to who gets to have sleep for any given day. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know, uh, our, our best to you and Lisa with all of that. Uh now uh, you're both here to yeah your new vault graphic novel bonding which is out february 1st last i checked uh with uh colors by k davis letters by Anne world design uh matt you want to read the pitch for the listeners uh, i should say matt lazowitz just for disambiguation <laughs> oh, okay i was like i don't have i i'm not gonna be good at reading any sort of pitch for this <laughs> no you rest right recording now. are we live are we doing this right now uh oh yeah yeah we're in se- <laughs> pod is in session okay great yeah, yeah. yes yes we are we are go Marcus has been alone since the loss of his closest friend and has just recently entered the dating scene, while Laura has drifted in and out of relationships since high school. They meet, they have a great first date, and Marcus almost dies. Because the slug-like parasite that everybody carries in this world nearly rejects him, its host. Bonding is a funny, quirky, and honest look at love in a world where everyone wears their anxiety, not on their sleeves, but on their chest like big old leeches. So what is the origin of this project? I know this one took a journey to uh, to get here. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so I want to say I came up with the idea for bonding in 2017. Wow. It was right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Can I curse? Can I say cuss words? Oh, cursing is great. Great. <laughs> I just check in. Sometimes, you know, we do these podcasts and they're for I don't know, 12 year olds. And you're just like, can't say fuck. (laughs) So, but yeah, that was a long time ago. And so I think I was coming home from work. I had a day job then, and I was going through mental health stuff. I I think it was right around the time when I was kind of starting to explore why I did not want to feel anything and why my day-to-day sucked and why I was so depressed and, and frustrated with just you know general existence and in a weird sort of fortuitous way i came up with an idea on the way home from a very shitty day job and as soon as i got home i wrote the first 22 23 pages and that's those pages are uh they didn't get changed it was so it's super crazy like the first 22 23 pages of the book in in bonding that's when I came home that day, I wrote those pages and they have stuck into the book since then. Uh, Adrian 
had very little edits for those pages. And like, I, I cannot stress enough. That is what I wrote when I got home that day. And uh, from there, I, I felt like I had a really cool idea. And um, this was before my first comic had even come out. Uh, this was, this was long lost came out in 2017 of November. So I had this thing that I didn't know what to do with. And then, you know, when long lost started to come out and, and I was starting to be introduced and uh, to the comic, uh, to all the comic people that uh, are in the industry and, you know, floating around all the publishers and editors, I, I you know, had a kind of struck up a conversation with Adrian at vault. He was a fan of long lost. And that was the first thing I pitched to them. That was actually one of the first things I'd ever pitched to any publisher uh, was bonding. Um, and they, they pretty much took it without hesitation. They were really in love with the idea. And from there we, I, I think, no, Emily was in this before that I had contacted yeah. Emily. <laughs> I was like, when did Emily come into this? But I was like, I, uh, Emily had worked with Vita on The Wilds mm -hmm. and Vita had worked with Lisa on Submerged and through some sort of, again, weird serendipitous thing, I reached out to Emily and sent her this pitch and she wanted to work on it with me. So uh, I, that, Emily was one of the first people out, out of the gate that I was the first person out of the gate that I started working with after long loss. So it's, it's wild that it's, uh, what, six years now since that all started. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. How old are you, Emily? You were like 12 when this all happened. You? <laughs> I'm 26. I okay. Was, I don't think that was, I think that was like five, four years ago, but yeah. still, yeah. I, I remember Lisa and I did an art trade of, is it is it Piper who's the main character from Long Lost? Yeah, Piper and Francis. Piper. Piper, I did fan art of hmm. Piper and then Lisa. I remember that. Daisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the book. Yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's how we kind of uh, how I met Lisa and then met Matt later. Super wild. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's, I mean, that's how bonding started it. It was a weird idea that I got driving home and then a few connections and it turns into a contracted book the, with Vault. So <laughs> it's, it's weird how that all, all that kind of transpires. Yeah. And, and, and listen, Vita Ayala bringing people together. We, we oh, absolutely. Have, we Since day it. one, they're incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you said the first uh, 20 or so, uh, 20 something pages you know, it hasn't really changed. Are there other no. parts of this book that, that, you know, evolved over all this time? Oh yeah, absolutely. And Emily can attest to that as well. Yeah. I think the, 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 the whole book has changed. The whole like, book has changed like at least two or three times, uh, <laughs> which, you know, based on, I don't know if any of you remember when this was first announced, but it was part of a YA line. I, oh yeah, no, I found the original release. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not YA. I don't know if you've read it, but it's not mm -hmm. YA. <laughs> and, and that was my first reaction. I'm like, oh wow, I can't believe this YA thing is finally coming out. Oh wait, no, this isn't this yeah. isn't that. <laughs> no. Uh and so I mean, that's a, a kind of a weird again, it's like in a weird sort of way, and and it's like we kind of worked through all of the not necessarily like 
hiccups, but like anything that could be changed in a, in a book, as far as a publishing cycle goes, like it happened to this book, it changed from, I think we have originally pitched it was going to be uh, uh, a monthly and then it got changed to a graphic novel and then it got, and then there was like two graphic novels and then we're like, and then, and then, and, and all of this happened. It was like YA and they're like, okay. And then, and then somewhere in the middle of like, let's just make this one graphic novel. And then someone read it and they're like, this cannot be YA. People are going <laughs> to get, people are going to get fired from their bookstores if they order this for their YA section. And so, you know, all this stuff sort of happens. And while this is happening, I'm learning about, cause this is my first kind of graphic novel that's come mm -hmm. out. That's like a, a whole book that hasn't been serialized. And so I'm learning about the process. I really don't know what's normal, what's not normal, how any of this goes. So, you know, at the end of the day, we, we started with this pitch and the artwork that Emily had uh, created. And then what we came out with was something not too far off from the pitch. It's just, there were so many things that, that had to adjust and change. And there were so many ideas, especially for the concept of, uh, of the story that everyone had that, you know, all of these little things needed to be tried and tested and see if they were going to work. And then, uh, we ended up with a story that was pretty close to what I pitched in a very wild roundabout sort of way. It took a while to get there, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I think I think Vault was trying a bunch of new themes with their publisher at the time, like the YA themes, mm. and trying to find a way for bonding to fit into that, and then like going and trying graphic novels and everything. It ended up being very similar to what we initially we're going to do just just longer yeah uh, quite a bit longer i think yeah i think we only had four or five issues or i mean issues it's like i think that translates to like 80 or 90 pages that we had originally yeah. thought the story was going to be and then they doubled it and i was like okay that's great i guess for me <laughs> and uh and i think i mean i it, it, it you guys have uh read it hopefully i don't know if you have Yes. but um yep. wonderful uh so like the middle part of the book it's it, it like it it completely changes and it also you know when you go through it the the switch the change kind of recontextualizes everything that you read before it and it kind of becomes this new thing which is really like i i never intended it for to be that and the fact that it ended up being this kind of new thing is incredible to me and i i i think it is uh even better because of that. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. It's definitely, it's interesting. I hope I'm not calling you out too much with this, Matt. But like, No, please. Please call <laughs> me out like, if you need to. <laughs> at the end of the first half, you can kind of clearly see where we originally thought of kind of finishing the book. And then yeah. it's like, mm -hmm. but I, I like that so much better when you go and continue the story after like jumping in time like that. I don't know if you know what I'm referencing. Specifically. Yeah. 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 But I think it ends the story ends up being a lot more interesting to have that kind of like, go back and tell the story before that a little bit too. Yeah, no, now that you bring that up, it's almost like the, the cannot not canonical, but the, uh, the, chronological ending happens in the middle of the book 
and yeah. then you, yeah, which is cool. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Every time I've had a call with Vault and every time I've kind of tried to talk about this book, I've always made sure like adjust your expectations for what this is. It's not exactly a genre thing. It's not a romance. It's not a sci-fi. It's not a body horror, but it's all of those things. And it's not traditional in its structure. And so, uh, you know, it's a weird book and which is why I'm so excited. I, I think that people are going to love it and uh, there will definitely be people that hate it. So I, I think that's fun. You answered a few of my questions about the structure, about whether it had originally been two books and which half was the first half that you did, whether you for want to avoid spoilers began with the back half and then backfilled. No, no. You, I mean, continued. I, I think part of the fun of this book is it's basically unspoilable. I don't think mm. that one, <laughs> I like there's a, there's a change in the middle and you kind of realize that it's, it's two stories that are connected. Um, but the, the, the first half was the first book, essentially that, that was what we wrote first and that is what we pitched. And then when you jump in time and you see the main characters and, and their uh, son, uh, that was all developed post kind of after the uh, pitch and after the contracting and all, after everything. And that's when Vault was like, let's expand this. Let's make this bigger. Let's, let's see what we can do with this. And I had this idea for a story that does that wasn't necessarily connected to anything. It was just about this this kid who has a long distance relationship that's kind of working through his own shit. And I thought that would, you know, fit really weird and, and uniquely into this world that Emily and I had created about uh, you know, these parasites and stuff. And it it, it ended up being I, I think the second part of the book is my favorite. I I, I really love uh what we did there. Uh I think it again, I think it really colors the first half in a really unique way and and makes uh, the whole book seem kind of this like this very strange familial journey. Uh, so yeah, uh, no, that was a great question. Thank you. Now, in the middle of all this, uh, quite literally considering it was conceived in, in 2017, you know, did the pandemic add a layer of oh well this ended up being more timely than i than i ever thought thought or intended it to be you, you know, know that the characters are sort of dealing with this this quote unquote new normal that everyone agrees is fucked up but you know yeah. has to carry on and our you know the idea that our children will inevitably hate us despite our best efforts to uh <laughs> you know i it's it's one of those very very strange things about this book is that we didn't have to change anything it, mm. it 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 was so bizarre in how not necessarily how you know it's not predicting events or anything i'm not yeah hopefully i'm not nostradamus here or something with with this has honestly happened twice now in regards to COVID. i've written two books that have kind of predated COVID, but predicted an outbreak and and all of these it's weird but you know uh, you know I, nothing needed to be changed it ended up being recontextualized again you know we had this event that happened in everyone's life and across the world that coincided with this book that i wrote and it didn't have like you know the book didn't have anything to do with covid and and 
when COVID was happening, we didn't make any COVID specific edits. It just happened to, you know, again, serendipitously align with a lot of the things that people struggled with when they were going through and still are going through the pandemic, you know, uh, whether that's mask wearing or the new normal or, you know, being immunocompromised, which is in a weird way, kind of what happens with Marcus's story, he, he becomes unbonded and, uh, we don't really touch on that too much in the book, but it's, it's, it's just one of those things where in the background, you can kind of pick apart these themes and these concepts that, uh, arose from COVID that the book happens to have, despite being written almost a year before probably a little bit more. I think I finished the the final script in beginning of 2019. I think, I think it wasn't colored at the point, but I think the book was the liner was finished before yeah. COVID too. I think, I think it was just around the same time where like, cause I remember I finished it around the same time that ECC got canceled. Oh yeah. Oh wow. So it was like, it, that was pretty much finished at the height of mm -hmm. COVID. Yeah. It was like March, 2020. Yeah, yeah. Because we were, yeah, I was going to go to that. And Lee, I remember, I was, oh, that's so funny that you brought that up. I remember like <laughs> debating, like, is COVID a real thing? Should we worry? Should we really, maybe we should go to Emerald City. It's like really, like, who, who's really going to get sick from this? And then it got canceled. And then uh, two years of, uh, you know, living in fear of a thing. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, no, that, that, that. That was definitely the canary in the coal mine uh, convention. Oh, for sure. <laughs> where it got canceled and everybody was like, uh -oh. yeah. yeah. I was bummed too, because I, you know, uh, I've never met Emily in, in uh, you yeah. know, physical <laughs> life, not real life. This is real life, but like physical space. In the and that was going to be yeah. the moment that we were going to hang out and get to hug and meet. And then it never happened. But I'm sure yeah. it'll happen in the future. Don't, I'm not concerned. Yeah, for sure. I remember like specifically, we we're going to have dinner with Vita and Vita's wife too and it's like oh, oh no. yeah. <laughs> yeah but next wild. time wild mm -hmm. oh god and, and then of course just just speaking of of comics that you know intentionally or unintentionally uh predicted the pandemic there was also a publisher that launched like that same week with a comic about a pandemic <laughs> Do you remember oh, what really? the publisher was called? I uh, remember, remember, remember or, well, not remember. They're still existing, but AWA, yeah. Artist Writer Scenario. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah, know the like, launch book was, was, yeah, uh, was called J. The Michael Straczynski's Resistance, yeah. which was. Oh, shit. Wow. No, I know. <laughs> I, I never put that together. That's crazy. Yeah, me neither. I, I, I asked the company about it when they, when they were just launching and, and the pandemic was starting and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of buzz about it. People are really excited. I'm like, <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> okay, that's your answer, PR Flack. Okay. Poor choice of words. People are <laughs> stoked about this upcoming thing that we're, yeah. Listen, I mean, hey. It was a weird time. People it were was. washing grocery bags. Let's, you know. No, I it's, it's, it's. I, I, hey, it's going to be wild to explain this to my kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not the only coincidence, you know, this, this book that is partly about, you know, family dynamics uh, is, is now coming out as you become a father. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's almost it's almost like you had twins, except one of the twins is a book. So, you know, twins in the, <laughs> Literally, the Schwarzenegger, yeah. DeVito, Schwarzenegger DeVito sense. <laughs> yeah. No, the, you a lot has changed. And and so much so like it's so weird because when my wife was pregnant, we thought for seven months we were having a girl. And then day the our child was born, it comes out as a boy. And it's just, again, weirdly aligning with this story. That doesn't necessarily happen in the story, but the two main characters have a son and I have a son now. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's just bizarre how all this happened. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't expect when I was writing Bonding that by the time that it was gonna be published that I would have a son. Uh, it's, 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 it's again, like the gestation period for this book and the kind of the timeliness of its arrival is, you know, obviously all coincidence. I am not one to chalk stuff up to magic and other mm -hmm. things, but you know, it's a lot of great, weird coincidences and it's noteworthy and they should be pointed out and, uh, uh, yeah, I I have a son and I have a book coming. <laughs> so it's weird. It's weird, man. <laughs> Try it sometime. It really messes with your sense of time. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, you know, in, in the meantime, during all this, this whole sort of gestate, this the six year gestation period of the book uh, versus the nine month gestation period of the human, uh, you know, you were both working on other projects. Which yeah. blood, the vein, good luck. Uh, you know, Emily, you've been working in the game space doing covers, uh, including, I should mention, you've got a cover for What's the Furthest Place from Here out next month. Oh, yes. So, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know people saw that yet. <laughs> I wasn't aware. I Googled. But, um, you know, was bonding <laughs> this sort of file in the top right corner of your desktop that kept calling your name like, uh, like Clippy? You know, it, it looks like you're trying to make a graphic novel. Did you with that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, you know, making a book and making a comic book is uh, it's a very unique collaborative process between the creative side of the team, which is, you know, me, Emily, Kay. Uh, and then and World was our letterer for a little bit. Jim Campbell was our letterer. And then specifically of the and world team, Justin Birch was the one that did the majority of the lettering. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once something is done and Emily finished inks or, uh, in, in March of 2020, and I finished writing the script in early 2019. So part of your job as a creative team is to just, yeah, like keep checking in on the project because there's only so much, uh, that you can do at that point. It's, it's out of your hands. And uh, that's when Kay, I, I think Kay was doing colors while you were inking. So colors were done shortly after that. I, I think the- Oh yeah, I think yeah. Kay was working on like the first part of the book or something like that as yeah. I was working on the second. If I, I don't remember exactly, but yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and so a long part of that gestation time was, was working through the letters and, and figuring out how we do this book because I wrote the script in a very uh, untraditional way. Emily asked for mm -hmm. unpaneled pages, um, which is traditionally, you know, comic book writers, they'll take page one, Panel one, here's what happens. Panel two, here's what happens. Spider-Man says thwip and then 
panel three, uh, Doc Ock grabs him. And that's the page. And you've kind of structured it out. But Emily wanted an open structure. So, and that's really, you know, it's really hard to do. I'm, uh, as I've, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's something that I've learned that when an artist asks for, you know, it's really special because that means that you're, honestly, it, it's like you get to be the, the, you get to have an even, even more of a collaborative say in, in how the mm -hmm. book looks. And I'm incredibly appreciative. Like this book wouldn't look how it does if it weren't for, you know, you asking for an open script and, 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 and being confident and aggressive with how you wanted to approach this book. I think a lot of artists would have been very intimidated by uh, that kind of idea, which is to just write uh, what you think might fit on a page and then I'll panel it out. And Emily did that. And it's, uh, it's incredibly impressive to think about how this book was made in, in kind of that structure. And so a big part of the post-production was going back through the script because one of the things that a letterer needs is that kind of uh, direction. You know, they need to know like in panel one, these characters say these things. And a letterer can't work from an open script, which is honestly something I learned from this from this book. Uh, I didn't know that because because prior to this, when I was working on Long Lost with my wife Lisa, she also worked from an open script, but she was also doing all of the lettering herself too. So it was kind of this thing where I didn't really, you know, for lack of a better term, I didn't know how hard it was because she never complained about it to me. So. Uh, when it finally got to the time that bonding needed to be lettered there was this big hurdle that we need i needed to go back through the script and panel out everything that had been paneled from emily's pages for the letterer so that they could properly letter this book and you know lettering this book might have been the hardest thing ac across all of the uh individual creative uh responsibilities that this book needed i think lettering was was the one that that was uh pretty difficult for this book and that's just because of how it was created and 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 how emily and i decided to create it i don't yeah. know what your i don't remember what your question was i started rambling <laughs> sorry <laughs> that yeah, is that's okay. really interesting because it's like um i i feel like that was i I'd never get to work that way ever. And it's it's definitely my preferred, but it's like, I can definitely work with, you know, traditional like panel one, panel two comics, but it makes it so much, so much easier. And I feel like I do a much better job when I get an open script. So really glad that you did that for me. <laughs> that was Any, really hey, nice. <laughs> no, anytime. I, I think that's one of the things that, uh, is important for all comic writers to learn how to do. And that's to work for your artist. It's like mm -hmm. when I'm writing my scripts, I'm writing it for like two people. It's my editor and my artist. And it's like, no one else is ever going to read these fucking things. <laughs> like, like the, the descriptions, the words that I put in the panels, that's for one, maybe two, sometimes three on a bad day for editors or something. So it's <laughs> like, you know, so learning to know what your artist wants 
in a script and learning and working with them to know what they want to draw and how they want to draw it and how they want to work is like so important to being a, a comic writer. It, it's a, it's a very unique, uh, a practice, I guess, or practice a field of writing. Uh, and, and that's one of the things is that's so important is the ability to be flexible and, and collaborative with somebody that, you know, want something different from you or, or want something that is a little off the kilter of traditional. And when you can deliver those things to that artist and make them happy, I think the book is 10 times better. So. Absolutely. So uh, Emily, I was curious, you know, with bonding, do you feel like you, you changed up your style to kind of fit the tone of the book? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Matt and I were talking about like when he was interested in, you know, doing this project and bringing it to me. I think there was a drawing I did at the time where he was really interested in that art style. And I was really excited because I felt like, uh, you know, I had been doing a lot of like more semi-realistic stuff and I wanted to kind of do some more cartoony things. And that was really fun to experiment with that. Um, but I think from there it ended up kind of giving me confidence and allowing me to do more cartoony stuff in the future and developing that as a style and then kind of going from there. Because I think when you're an artist, a lot of the time you feel like if you don't stick to a style that's specific and recognizable, you're not going to get work or you're not going to get popularity. And I think that's just uh, for me i cannot <laughs> i cannot do the same looking things over and over again because i will just get so stale and the art will look so much worse because i'm just doing the same look over and over again but yeah i mean since then the my art sales also changed again <laughs> since drawing the book so the cover looks a little different than the interiors because of that so it's and then the book, as you read it, kind of changes style a little bit. I hope it's not too noticeable, it's, but it might be. It's, it's you know, I, I think it's incredible that you get to experience all of these different, and they're not changes. They're like evolutions of, of mm -hmm. how you portray things and how you draw. And over the course of the book, you get to see from beginning to end how you grow as an artist. Mm -hmm. And, I, and, and I, I think that's a, you know, just as an aside, all artists, from what I can tell, feel this anxiety about their art changing. And it's like yes. if you have it's like if you have to draw, you know, 30 pages every month for a year, like you're not only are you is your art gonna change, but you're just gonna get better at what you're doing. Yeah. So there's gonna be like there's going to be a noticeable difference in your skill level from the beginning of a book to the end of a book. And I think that's really exciting that bonding has that uh, on multiple stages for Emily, you know, the, the, the first part of the book was made, you started drawing that in like 2018, almost, I feel like oh at least gosh. some of the character designs. I mean, some of the character designs, honestly, in the back of the book, you, you started doing and like when we, when we were pitching. So like yeah, the I art in total, it was like over two years, three years, something like that. Yeah. So and then the cover, <laughs> the cover was done set pretty recently, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you get this whole spectrum of Emily's art from, you know, five or six years uh, as, as kind of this, you know, 
growth throughout the book. It's I don't know. I think it's awesome. I I really <laughs> love it. I think it's cool when artists can can show that. I I you know skill is not grown in a bubble. You have to do things and it's just like the more you do things the better you get at them and comic books are like a visual example of that, you know. You've got a beginning, which is where the book starts and you've got an end and it takes I don't know. Sometimes decades for for stories to finish running and you know you, you look at manga with like jojo's mm -hmm. bizarre adventure they've been doing it araki's been doing that for 35 years and it's like the 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 style that he has portrayed since the 80s to now is like so drastically different and that's part of the fun of it you get to you get to grow and you get to see the artist grow and you get to read along with that growth if that makes sense yeah i remember um Oh god, I can't. Uh, Stephens, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Stephen Sedgwick, he did. Yeah. Is it Aphrodite, the comic book? Like he changed his style completely in the middle of it. I think this is from the '90s. Um, and it's just like it goes from like fully painted to what his style looks like now. <laughs> and so it's just like it's so jarring. But yeah, that is something like artists are always very self-conscious about because it's like. You work on a book for multiple months and it's going to change, especially since you're getting so much practice from drawing uh, so many pages every month. So it's it's kind of inevitable, but it's still something like for me, I'm I'm very part of me is very self-conscious about this book coming out so much later now because I have I have changed so much as an artist since I finished drawing this book. But, you know, it's. I really want it to come out. <laughs> I'm glad that it is. No, I mean, that's, I, you know, total candid. I share the same anxiety. I, yeah. you know, I wrote this when I was in my twenties, which is crazy that I entered a whole <laughs> new decade of life. And so it's like, you know, there are aspects of the writing and there are aspects to the story that had I written them now, they would be very different. But I think that's part of the beauty of kind of the time capsules of these things that we create is that they are very much uh, a, a, a one-way uh, scope into the creator's abilities at that specific time. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's funny that it's coming out now. I, Emily and I have had so much stuff come out since... <laughs> making this book that you know obviously there's some anxiety like about our skill levels now and what we would be doing with the book had we gotten a chance to do the book as we are creators now but there's something really beautiful about being able to kind of release a new time capsule if that makes sense I, I don't know how to put it sharing the past like mm. as it is now yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Emily, at what point at what point in the process did you do the cover? Was that after like all the interiors were done at some point in the middle? Yeah. Oh my Take gosh. So <laughs> um so essentially I finished all the work for the book summer twenty twenty. Um uh and then I did the cover I think it was a little less than a year ago at this point. I think I finished it March of last year. Um, so it's 
it's not only a ton of life changes, but it's like different things I've been doing with art this whole time. Like I, the cover is painted, which is something I would have never been able to do like back when I was working on the book. And I don't know if it's in the trade. I can't remember, but there might be the old cover we oh, have. Oh, the, the OG cover. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's in the trade, honestly. Yeah. Did Kate, did Kay color that or did you color that? I think I colored it, but I tried to make it look like she's colored. Yeah, I was about to say, it looks very similar to the way that they colored things on the book. But yeah, yeah there, there were two covers. The first cover, Emily and did like three or four years ago. I have yeah, no idea was, if that's in the book. That um, was probably about six months after I finished it, if I remember right. Um, if you see it in the book, it's like Marcus and Laura on inflatable tubes, and there's a bunch of slugs in a pool. So, yes, yeah, I don't those, know. there's there's a bunch of of kind of variants. Uh, oh, they the are in the book. That is oh, sick. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was when we still thought it was going to be young adult, and we yeah. we were thinking, hey, two characters in a pool, that's fun, and for a twelve year old. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we, and then we, and then it's like no twelve-year-old on this fucking planet would be would a get what this is and b a, you know, there's so many reasons why a twelve-year-old shouldn't read this, but yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, many iterations of various things, and there were a lot of different cover ideas that Emily had too, and. Uh, I don't know if any of those thumbnails made it to the book, but they I are. I post them probably when it comes you should. out. Yeah. Because there is a couple that we liked that we uh, mm -hmm. had to give up on, unfortunately. Yeah. The heartbreaking aspect of working in publishing is sometimes you gotta, <laughs> sometimes you gotta walk away from the, from the, uh, from the battle. It's not mm -hmm. quite worth it. And you just gotta say, this is, this, this'll do. This'll be good. This'll do. <laughs> you still get to win the war uh so <laughs> color plays a big part in this book especially you know in the slugs which all look so different and and then of course you know when a uh, a certain event happens in the second half of the book you know it's all just these sort of bursting lattices of of shape and color had, had you worked with with k prior to this because you play well together it seems at least from where i'm sitting <laughs> Uh, me no. Kay, I, <laughs> Kay is a very skilled and talented person. I just let them do whatever they wanted <laughs> because it was clearly right. Um, Kay is amazing. I yeah. I do not know how they colored this book this well, but they did. So I'm very <laughs> happy for it. Kay is a very close friend of of mine and uh, Lisa's, and I'd worked with Kay. A lot in the past. I actually, in a very, I don't know if they're going to enjoy me telling the story, but I actually hired <laughs> them at Chipotle about a decade ago. And before we all decided that that was a, we had better, uh, there were better things to do with our lives than make burritos. Um, <laughs> so I, I've known Kay for a long time and, and uh, this was an opportunity to work with someone that I had a personal relationship with. I, I, love very dearly I, I care about them and one of the things that is strange about the art world is that no matter how talented you are sometimes opportunities just you know are have a harder time finding themselves to you and 
working with Kay was, you know, I think for me, it, I wanted them to have an opportunity to prove themselves because I knew that they were incredibly talented. They are incredibly talented mm -hmm. and, you know, having an, op having the ability to, to, to decide these things as a creator of a book and be like, I want Kay to be the colorist on this is one of the great things about making creator own comic books is that there's so much that you can do. And, and I, I really don't know what I'm trying to say, but uh, <laughs> I love working with Kay. They did an incredible job with this book. I think the colors on the interiors make the world feel so much more unique than it already does very alien uh very vibrant um and without their colors i don't think this book would be uh what it is mm -hmm. yeah for sure Kay also do you know their twitter handle because i think they changed their name recently but yeah it's ochre umber okay yeah Kay's art is fantastic i mean besides just the colors Kay's yeah. a fantastic line artist as well so i I, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about them. <laughs> the, uh, the, the slugs in the book make it look like everyone is wearing one of those like flat, wide, sort of 1960s uh, kipper ties, like something you might see yeah. in Mad Men, which, which is funny because at some point somebody comments that nobody can wear ties now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, then the characters get to accessorize them with like butterfly wings and Total Recall Halloween costumes and stuff. How fun is, was that as a design element to play with? Oh my gosh, that was, <laughs> it was really fun. I remember like I was drawing so much slugs at the time too. I think I told you this, Matt, where it was like, I, I had started when I was just drawing stuff for myself, I started putting the slugs on people by accident because I just, <laughs> how anatomy worked in my head <laughs> after drawing this book. So sorry. Um, no, it's, it, it's, it changed. It's all good now. <laughs> no, it was really fun. It's, I think it was really fun to try and figure out how far I could kind of go with those slugs without running out of ideas and the answer was it never happened which was very very good thankfully because there's a lot of the visuals for the slugs are inspired by like sea slugs um this was uh matthew's idea actually and it ended up being something that there's just endless pools of resources for and it may feel like you'd have to draw like hundred slugs or something like this to get this on all the characters you really got to do it for like maybe 10 characters and then the rest they can all look kind of similar so it's not that noticeable <laughs> but it was really fun to try to figure out the little outfits and stuff like that for the slugs i think that was a great idea that matt also had that um the one of the main characters laura dresses up her slugs for occasion <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the funniest and grossest things I've read in a while was when uh, Sierra is talking to Laura about her and Mark having sex. And she asks, so you haven't touched slugs yet? <laughs> and I was both immediately grossed out and curious if that was 
actually a reproductive act in this world at this point, or if Sierra was just being gross and colloquial. And that got me really thinking about all the new language. Yeah. Like coming up with the, all the, the parlance for the a new world. Confusing. It's very <laughs> confusing and difficult. Uh, because one of the things that you have to be, which I am not, is consistent. And if there's a, and, 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 and when it comes to language, if, you know, all your characters are calling this thing like 12 different things, then it's really, it turns out super confusing. So that was something I had to learn. That's a great question. It, it was not something that I was naturally good at. I, you know, I think it's one of the skills that comes from, from regularly writing sci-fi and fantasy, uh, the ability to kind of create your own terminology and 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 kind of shorthand for a lot of these things. And that was something I learned with this book was 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 how to do that. You know, for a while, a lot of the characters called the slugs bugs and then some of the other characters would call them slugs and then some of the other characters would call them parasites. And there were all these different terms for the for the slugs. We eventually settled on just one, which was slug, which was my favorite, actually. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> uh, and, and 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 so there were a lot of things that we had to figure out. And I, I had a lot of calls with Adrian, uh, the editor, the editor in chief at Vault, about how language should work in this. Like how, like you know, how how do how do people communicate in a world where this is the norm not necessarily because it's easy to figure that out when it's like the new emerging thing you know people can learn with the reader what the norm is or what the norm is becoming but when you're writing a story that's already been established in the pre-context of the story you know this story takes place you know years after all of this stuff happened and these characters are living in this world where for for them change is is unforeseeable they, they can't imagine another world where there aren't slugs on people's bodies and everyone's doing you know what they're doing and and talking how they're talking so it was a learning curve to figure out how to write dialogue that was inviting to a reader but still colloquial in the sense of the characters and not feel like we're over explaining what things mean you know it's 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 one of those real hard tightropes to walk when you're writing sci-fi or, or fantasy as well uh is finding those those things and those those terms that you can throw out into the to the book and and hopefully have readers understand without too much context and that's i think one of the magic tricks of the book because they're they're colorful alien slugs that pit, sit on people's chests and sometimes resemble pickles you know they're intended to draw focus yeah uh, but you know emily you also draw a lot of great human street clothes in this book is that oh. is that something that you enjoy playing yeah i mean i so for reference like i i am a character designer now um i love fashion i love drawing fashion and just designing the different looks for characters so i think uh playing into that and kind of having the space to have fun with that and to experiment with what i liked and what would look good in the book was really fun and i think a lot of it is 
inspired by street fashion because where they live is a very uh, kind of suburban area and that's kind of a lot of the setting for the book so I f it's fun to kind of have the two play off of each other and cause I, I feel like I don't know me personally when I read comics I really want characters to wear clothes and express themselves more than they do because there's so many comics where people are just wearing white t-shirts and jeans and it's like I don't that's not what you'd be really wearing I don't I don't ever wear that <laughs> so it's just like it's really fun to try to show more of a character's personality or build a world through the fashion or through the the slugs or whatever it may be Comics is one of the only comics and animation, I think, are one of the few mediums where there are constraints around what a character can wear. Mm -hmm. there, there aren't any. So uh, I love what Emily did with the fashion in this book. I, 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 I love whenever an artist creates their own language of uh, fashion. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but uh, I, I think comics and animation are an incredible uh, and video games too. Great, mm -hmm. great place for really creative, unique fashion design. Mm -hmm. So in the opening scene of the book, you know, when Marcus and Laura are on their first date, it is, uh, and, and to be clear, I, I, you know, it, it's pain, it's painfully awkward, you know, which, which, which is good for the story. Not, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I'm an old, I've been out of the dating scene for a long time, but you know, I, I can't ima even imagine how difficult it is now. You know, did, did either of you sort of draw on personal memories when, when crafting that scene? Uh, it's so funny that you bring that up. I, uh, <laughs> I've been with my, my now wife for 12 years now. And so, no. I I don't know. I don't know what it's like to date. I was actually rereading that scene. I'm like, do fucking people even eat steaks on dates? Any is that a, is this a, is this even a is this even a, a even resemble what a date would look like now? Because my understanding of dates came from when I was what 18 or 19, and the understanding of what a date is then is so far away from what reality is that. Again, like, again, I, I have no idea. I think about this date scene at the beginning of this book. And I'm like, there's, this is, this is somehow the most unrealistic thing about this book is the date that they're on. And the fact that this is, that it's a blind date that they go and eat steak and they're at this fancy, like, it doesn't, I don't know. I've never, in hindsight, never heard or I feel like these dates only happen in movies. And it's, there's, <laughs> that's that was my that was my reference point. Was like, oh yeah, movie date. That's that makes sense. They go and get a steak, and it's a blind date. But no, I I have no <laughs> I have no experience with dating because uh, I did it twelve years ago as a teenager, and we went and got coffee because we couldn't drink, and that was it. Wait, you didn't get steak? No, no. <laughs> Turns out, you know, working at a Marshalls or a TJ Maxx, you don't make enough money to order the steak at whatever Applebee's you go to. Or you got to get the apps. That's all you can afford. 
see, I was going to ask if you'd ever been on a, a first date where someone had a medical emergency, because I will say, not fun. Ma- Have Ma- you? Matt, Ma- <laughs> Ma- I've known you for a long time. Are you speaking from personal experience? And I'm oh, yeah. in this story. Laura, she went oh. to anaphylaxis on our first date. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, dim sum place we went. They, uh, what's the name? They uh, fried something in peanut oil and didn't indicate it. And oh, has a peanut allergy. So, oh, wow. you know, we're walking through the streets of Philadelphia. We sit down in a park and talk, and her her hands start to itch. And she the, the Benadryl she had with her for just this occasion had expired. So we had to run to like the nearest drugstore and get Benadryl. And we were getting ready to call Uber to have her bring her to the hospital. But fortunately, the Benadryl kicked in and it took, but that was a, a first that was a first date. That's so fucking crazy. Are... Yeah. So how does how did we do that? Yeah, that I'm reading realistic? this. I'm like, huh, I've 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 been here, and my partner's name is Laura. That's yeah. so fucking crazy. <laughs> Isn't it though? That is no, literally, very crazy. I I I'm sorry that you experienced that. Even more sorry that you had to read it in our no. book. <laughs> it, it's been a while, and it is now. I won't say a funny story we tell it's about a good our first story. date, but it's a good story to tell about your first date. That's wild. Um, no, I've never, uh, I can't, again, I'm just recalling the dates that I've had with my now wife. I think there might've been a time where she threw up once, but that's not really a medical emergency. That's just <laughs> a gross accident she had. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah I again, that's that's something that I I have no experience with. Uh, magic of fiction sometimes correlates with the insanity of real life. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Life imitates art, imitates life, etc. Yeah, <laughs> time is a flat circle. There you go. It is. Oh man, did either of you cry at any point while making this book as a result of making this book? I, I'm sure I've cried because of every comic book at some point that I've worked on. Um, not like anything super like Matt was bullying me or anything like that, but <laughs> yes. uh, comics can be very overwhelming at times. Yeah. So I'm sure there was a cry in there, it's especially for how long we worked on the book. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm, I, I might have cried. I, I have a tendency to cry when I read. I This is going to sound so ridiculous. But <laughs> sometimes I cry when I read the ends of my own books because I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I'm brought back to whatever emotion or whatever, you know, thing that was happening when I was writing it. Or I just maybe sometimes did a good job and wrote a really uh, emotional ending for something. I'm, I may have... I, I may have cried. Uh, it's it's hard to say. There's so many it's hard to remember too. <laughs> yeah, there's so many parts of this book where it's a potential um, for me to have done that. I think uh, I definitely think that there was a monologue that I wrote that's at the end of the book that mm-hmm. I actually wrote uh, way later than the book was finished. I think I wrote that monologue like 
last year sometime. I think Adrian had come back. It was like, hey, the ending needs a little extra oomph. And so I wrote this 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 final monologue for it. And I th- I, 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 I feel like some when I finally read it all, after it had been all put together, it mm-hmm. drew something from me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, uh, you know, normal for, for me is, is to make myself cry. So, yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't remember crying specifically, but I do know that like every time I worked on a comic book, I, it's hard to let go of the characters and the story a little bit after you kind of finish the, your big part of it. It's just kind of like, okay, well I have to let this go and work on something else now. So it's always kind Mm -hmm. of like, I I get attached to the things, the specifically the characters that I'm working on a lot, and it can kind of be a sad experience to to have that end. And it's you know it's funny that not funny, but it's it's interesting that you bring that up. Artists work on comic books so much longer than writers do. Mm. Emily has Emily spent more time with this book than than I did writing it, and I th- that's just the nature of how comics work. It, it's you know. It takes a considerably a lot longer to draw a comic book than it takes to write it. So, uh, I, I imagine that emotion was, uh, you know, pretty intense having drawn a, these two, two or three characters for yeah, a year. Definitely, it's like it's definitely it's interesting. It's just like a big part of your life, especially when bonding in particular. I think. So longest comic book I've worked on, where it's just like, you know, you you draw these characters every day. You tend to think about them every day, and it mm-hmm. becomes a part of your life. And you don't really realize how attached you become to these two uh, D drawings <laughs> until you're until you're kind of getting towards the end of it. But it's a good experience to have. I think getting emotionally invested in characters as a comic book artist and creator is something that's kind of really special because Mm -hmm. it it kind of it connects your life to this story in a certain way it's really nice total shift question so (laughs) you get to words use words like fistulation in this book yeah Uh, my wife's a nurse practitioner, so I'm privy to all kinds of, of you know, gross medical stuff on the regular. But, uh, you know, how much fun was it sort of putting in the man hours to study the science of what might make this world sound plausible? Not fun. Uh, <laughs> a lot, I, I, I had to look at a lot. So uh, I'll inflict your listeners and you with this. Please do. Uh, I, I had to research. I, I mean, I didn't have to, but there's a certain like level of curiosity that I think most writers have towards like, this has got to be real, right? And it is. So uh, it's this thing called a canula. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but cows have holes drilled into the sides of them Mm -hmm. so that farmers can reach in and help them digest the grass that they eat with their, because they have two stomachs. So uh a farmer and it's literally what it is it's a big hole except in real life they don't put a slug on it they just put a big wine cork inside like it's crazy so that's what a canula is and that's what i researched to be like so you can live with a big hole that goes into your inside 
part of your body and you can as long as it's properly sealed up and and everything's you know healed you can have a big hole <laughs> and I, I don't know what else to say but it's real you can this is not like you know obviously the slug stuff is fiction but having a big hole on your body totally real um so i had to research that that was probably the grossest thing I had to research. And it's, even then, it's not that gross. It's like you, you you get to see the inside of a cow and how they make this big hole. And they just cut it out. They just cut a big hole out of a cow and they keep it alive and they put a cork in it. And then they – that's what it is. I don't know. There's no pretty way to describe what I'm describing. Um, and that's probably the grossest thing I had to do research on. Luckily, and the nice thing about writing sci-fi and and kind of this kind of genre is that you can kind of make up a lot of stuff, and I did, and uh, you know, and that's another reason why I don't write historical fiction or anything that requires any sort of accuracy is because I'm (laughs) horseshit at researching, not college educated cannot do it do not have the patience for it if anyone were to hire me to write some sort of historical biography it would not be what they would want um which is why i love writing genre and sci-fi and fantasies because i get to make stuff up and just do a quick cursory google to make sure it's somewhat plausible and i did (laughs) and for bonding it's super plausible (laughs) And now we all know about that cow's extra hole. <laughs> I remember you sending that to me for the first time. <laughs> like, yeah. oh. Well, you had to see it. You'd be like, this is the reference. This is our yeah, reference. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I don't know. It, necess- it wasn't necessary to send that to you. but It, it was, was helpful, to be I, fair. <laughs> I needed to inflict that on somebody else than on the it's creative reasonable. team. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we have to share our nightmare fuels. It, we do. It, it just—it's <laughs> the power of friendship. <laughs> so, uh, poetry comes into play in the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. W- was that something new for you, or do you have like a journal of of like you know bad teenage poetry socked away somewhere? Uh, it's not new for me, and yes, I do have a journal of bad teenage poetry. Uh, <laughs> stocked away somewhere um i've been writing poetry for a long time before comics that was kind of my main way to create and express not necessarily for a public form i tried that i don't like reading poetry i've done it it's not great (laughs) to do i mean my my poetry i like i like when i write poetry i think it's pretty okay um actually like performing it and reading it is definitely not for me i i i'm not a fan of slam poetry it it, something about it makes my skin crawl sorry to all the slam poets out there i don't know what it is but something about it just it icks me uh so i can't do it and and one of the things that was really great with writing comics was being able to bring over that aspect of how I learned how to write was, was getting to be able to write poetry in some of the books that I do. And uh, this isn't the first book that I've written poetry for. 
definitely won't be the last book. And I think comics is a really great medium for putting kind of the short, very short, uh, poetic license to the sentences that you create. And, and I mean, that's, that's all poetry is, is very, you know, pretty sounding cut up sentences. <laughs> and, and so uh, comics is great for that. And with this, the, I know the particular scene you're thinking of, I had a lot of fun getting to write that. I had no idea how it was going to look on the page. Uh, and I think it turned out beautifully. So um, yeah, I, I love doing that. Poetry is, uh, I, I, someone, not someone I know personally, someone I read, Roland Barthes said that if you can write a story in the smallest uh, form, which is a haiku, structured form, then you can write a story in the longest structured form. And that's always stuck with me. And so one of the things that I, I still do is I try to write haiku about the pitches that I pitch to comic creators or to comic publishers, just so that I know that if it's an idea that can be condensed into, what is it? Five, seven, five, that's like 18 syllables. If it's an idea that can be condensed into 18 syllables, then it's an idea that can be expanded into a full graphic novel or a comic series. It's, it, 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 it's all about that translation of an idea. And uh, poetry does that and comics do that. And um, I like mixing and matching those two mediums to see what happens. So does that mean you have a haiku pitch somewhere for like your Care Bear story? <laughs> well, I don't know about the Care Bear story, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, there's a haiku pitch somewhere floating around for bonding. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe Care Bears. I don't know. That's you pick the sore thumb out of the, the 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 hat that i have of a of a bibliography that i cannot explain so <laughs> so uh what what would you each name your slugs and what one accessory would you give them oh man no one has ever asked me this before. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, this is such like a promotional question. I'm surprised we didn't do this ourselves. Oh, man. I think I would name my slug Headache. Something, <laughs> something about that rings true. It's cute, but it also, it's definitely, it means something. Uh, it's kind of a pet name. And that's what you got to kind of approach the slugs with. It's like, it's the same, it's almost the same as naming like a dog or a cat. It's like, if you don't want to name it a human name, that's like James, because that's stupid. <laughs> but you want it to give it something that has some personality. And there are some human names that work. Mm. Um, so I, I go with headache and uh, I would give it a t-shirt. I think that's I think that's what I would do. I I honestly the only thing that's ruminating in my head right now is that I I would probably just name it after my D and D character and dress it up the same way. That's I don't sick. want to be the that person, <laughs> but I I know that I am. <laughs> like no, that's super sick. That's a good answer. I think that's oh. a very that's a very cool answer. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. 
It's oh, not and then cool it gets a tiny all, little like a quiver or a scabbard. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah, cool. They get a halberd. That's, there you that's go. How it goes. That's sick. <laughs> I like that. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, uh, what frustratingly vague things can you say about the projects you're working on this year that you can't actually talk about yet? Oy. Emily, you go first. Since yeah, I, I feel like I have an easier one for this. <laughs> um. I'm not doing any comics this year. I have, uh, no, I'm not doing any comics this year. I have some covers, but that's it. I, I'm, I'm working on a video game. <laughs> I can't yeah. say anything about it, but it's, it's out. It's called Legends of Runeterra. If you want to play it or something, I don't know, but yeah, I'm just, I'm doing some concept art for that. Uh, I am thinking about all of my non-disclosure agreements and <laughs> how far I can go with stuff. I, I've been teasing stuff on Twitter. I have a book coming out with Sam Beck, um, through a publisher that is pretty big. Uh, they've been around the block. They've done some great things obviously uh i'm incredibly excited for it to be announced um i have some more stuff coming out with mad cave that i'm excited that for, for them to announce uh i've got i've got in, uh, incredible stuff coming out with idw there's one book already announced called golgotha motor mountain that i'm doing with lonnie nadler Ooh. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, he's the co he's the co writer. We've been working on it for a while now, and uh, that's you can already read up on what that is. But I'll, I'll just mm -hmm. sell the pitch right now. It's about two uh, rednecks in the in the hollers of Kentucky, and they are they cook meth, which is what one does when you live mm -hmm. in the hollers of Kentucky, and um, their cook operation is. Uh, interrupted by an alien meteorite that crashes into their cook site, their barn. And they make the incredible decision to cut the alien meteors into their, uh, their cook. And so the story follows these two hillbillies as they sell contaminated uh, drugs to their neo-Nazi KKK uh, crazy uh, hillbilly neighbors in this backwoods place called Golgotha. It's very, it's, I'm very excited. Um, very excited for stuff to come out about that. It's one of the weirder books I've ever done. Very exciting. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. IDW. I mean, just IDW in general, I've got a bunch of stuff working, cooking with <laughs> IDW. They're an incredible publisher. I'm, I'm, I'm working with Maggie Howell and, and, uh, Mark, their editor in chief. And, I, I think that they're one of the publishers to keep your eye on as far as creator own stuff is going. I know they've obviously got some really great stuff that's been putting out the past year with uh, Dark Spaces, Wildfire, Scott mm -hmm. Snyder stuff, and then uh, Diver, I'm, tr I'm trying to remember, the Kill Columbus one, super cool book. I go back in time, Kill Columbus, very in support of doing that. 
<laughs> and so, and Liana Kangas and mm-hmm. and and yeah. Scott Brian Wilson's True book True Cult. Yep, love that so one. So IDW is putting out some incredible stuff. I'm very very proud to say that I have some stuff coming out with them in the future. Uh, uh, so there's that, and then I think that's I think that's all I can legally talk about <laughs> right on good enough good enough so uh penultimate question uh what are you guys reading right now my baby's poop diaries to make sure they poop and pee every day the amount that they're supposed to that is all i'm reading if they don't hit that quota they, we, we gotta take them to the doctor that's, that's what i'm good. reading nice um... <laughs> they're leaves in their own way they really are that you got you gotta you got to you gotta know how many times they poop and pee and if it's not enough straight to the doctor very important have no idea they don't tell you that when you're about to have a baby like they kind of like give you the the rough edges of what you're supposed to be doing but then when you get into it you're like oh yeah if this baby doesn't pee every day eight times something's wrong and you're like oh shit no one told me that that's what it is it's kind of weird. They just kind of let you have a baby without telling you what to do. <laughs> Lisa and I were talking about the same thing the other day. We were looking at Elliot and we're like, they just let you have one of these. You don't have to you don't have to fill out a test. You don't have to do paperwork. You don't have to sign up anywhere. You just get to have a baby. You have to do you have to do more paperwork to adopt a dog. I was going to say the no, same you thing. Do. Yeah. <laughs> crazy yeah um (laughs) for me do not have a baby so i am (laughs) i'm reading a lot of older comics right now or not super older but not recent things i am reading rat queens for the first time which is excellent um i'm also reading uh heartthrob i think that's the that's one that just came out on Netflix, right? I'm looking it up. It's a heartthrob. That's uh, the, the Chris Sabella comic, right? No. Oh, no. That's a good one, too, though. <laughs> Heartstoppers. That's oh, what I'm thinking uh... of. Yes. Heartthrob is also great. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been going through that recently. Uh, I also recently finished my favorite book of the year, which was Galaxy the Prettiest Star by... Jazdia, what is her last name? Axelrod. Yes, and Jess Taylor. That was excellent. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, Oh, uh, It Took Luke by Mark Bouchard and Bailey Underwood. Nice. Uh, Came out through Oni, um, but that book was incredible. I I think both of them are talents to... Not, I mean, yeah, watch for them. I think they're already making it happen. They're doing it. If you're not a part of it, you're missing out. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Emily, Matthew, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you uh, back into the world and, and, and to your baby. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with bonding and everything else that you have going on? You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Ehrman, which is just my name. Uh, I'm sure... However you found this podcast, it will be spelled somewhere around there. So just search that. 
Um, I have a website too. That's the same. It's MatthewErman.com. You'll find a lot less fun stuff on my website, more professionally stuff. Um, but yeah, those are really the only two places that you can find me. Uh, so do that. <laughs> yeah, I am at Emily Pearson art, uh, mostly just on Instagram and Twitter. Um, also same for my website. I don't, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't really post much besides my D&D characters at this point. So if you're into that, I'm happy for you. If you're not, I am sorry. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, Matthew, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, thank you for having us. This was a blast. Yeah. Super fun time. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claws sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Asimov Fangirl a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, if Spider-Man can teach the Beyonder to poop, you can pretty much do anything you set your mind to. I believe in you. WMQA.